This is Isandro Lamarni. Welcome to the Arabist podcast. Today is December 2nd, 2011. We've just had an election in Egypt. And with me, as always, Ursula Lindsay. Hello. And Ashraf Khalil. Hi. Today, apart from the election, we're going to be talking uh, uh, first about what's been going on around the region. Ursula has a kind of roundup for us. Yes, uh, so I will be reading my regional cliff notes from the last week. Um, Turkey imposed economic sanctions on Syria. Iranian students broke into and overran the British embassy in Tehran, and the UK responded by closing the Iranian embassy in London. A report by the Bahrain Independent Commission of Inquiry dismissed alleged connections between Shia protesters and Iran and described how prisoners were hooded, whipped, beaten, and subjected to electric shock treatment by the security forces. Female prisoners were threatened with rape, and at least five prisoners died under torture. The report does not name the officials responsible, however, and no legal action has yet been taken against them. Salafist students in Tunisia stormed a university calling for female students to be allowed to wear the niqab and for the setting up of prayer rooms on campus. Dock workers in Suez protested the delivery of 21 tons of tear gas from the American company Combined Systems to the Egyptian security services. Several Egyptian protesters died of tear gas inhalation recently, but a U.S. State Department spokesperson said Washington has not found any evidence that Egyptian police misused tear gas. Israeli settlers stoned an 80-year-old Palestinian woman, sending her to the hospital, and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said the Arab uprisings have turned into an Islamic, anti-Western, anti-liberal, anti-Israeli, and anti-democratic wave. Yemeni President Ali Abdullah Saleh signed a proposal backed by the UN and the Gulf Cooperation Council, supposedly transferring his powers to a newly appointed Prime Minister and scheduling presidential elections for this February. Yemeni protesters aren't buying it, though. They rejected the deal, saying Saleh and his relatives, who've been granted immunity from prosecution, remain in effective control of the country. Back to you, Isander. Well done. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, the, 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 this thing that's happening in Tehran, or that happened in Tehran with the British embassy being overrun, highly reminiscent of the uh, takeover of the U.S. embassy in 79 yep. by uh, revolutionary students then, you know, that the elections and also what Bibi Netanyahu is saying, you know, does he have a point? Are we back? Are we seeing a repeat of, of 1979? Uh, there's been a revolution or political uprisings. Uh, leaders have been overthrown, despite everything that most experts were saying for since uh, the, the, the uprisings began in January, about this not being about Islamists and so on. Well, now we have elections that prove this wrong. What exactly have they proven wrong? I think he's being alarmist. I think he's being very kind of uh, Israel-centric, which is understandable, I suppose. He's the prime minister of the country. But I think Israel has been on the wrong side of history since day one of the Arab Spring, and I'm looking forward to them getting further and further. Look, we've just had decently run elections in Egypt, which we'll talk about and which we covered in previous podcasts. No one has claimed that the elections in Tunisia were mismanaged or deviously run. These are legitimate democratic processes and they are producing yep. so he may elected be wrong. governments. He may be wrong on the anti-democratic, yes. but, but how about the Islamic, anti-Western, anti-liberal, anti-Israel? Okay, they're Islamic. Ooh, scary. I mean, let's see what they do when they get into power. You know, we can't judge them yet. We can't just judge them because they're, they're scary bearded people. 
Although some of the people who, who are getting into the Egyptian parliament, as we will get into, are in fact slightly scary bearded people, and we will. Uh, you can judge them by their statements. Means. I mean, I have no problem with any statements that Nada members have made. You know, and I, and I did discard some of the statements by Jebeli, the new prime minister, a few weeks ago, talking about the sixth Islamic caliphate. I think that, that's, that's just uh, hard. <coughs> um, but I, I am seriously concerned about some of the statements that Salafists uh, make in Egypt. And, and that they now see, seem to appear about 25% perhaps of, um, of uh, the next parliament. Well, okay, so let's, let's, let's yeah. clarify that. So the final results of the first round of the parliamentary elections in Egypt aren't in yet. They should be in very soon, but they're not in at this time that we're broadcasting. But Although, the preliminary results yeah. um, suggest basically that the big winner has been the Muslim Brotherhood with something around 40%. Uh, number two is the Salafists, which are, um, you know, extremist Islamists, fundamentalist Islamists, who had no political party or platform before 10 months ago, and today have won somewhere between, it's not clear, 15, 20, perhaps over 20%. And then the third strongest party is what's called the Egyptian Bloc, which is an alliance of uh, liberal leftist parties and is associated to a certain degree with... Uh, Coptic Egyptians, I mean, one, because one of the big backers of the of the bloc is a Coptic businessman, Nagib Sawiris, and two, because it has had a lot of support by Christians, but also just by uh, secular Egyptians. Yeah, it's, be, it's perceived within Egypt almost as a Christian party, and it's not that, but uh, it, it, it does have large numbers of Christians among its ranks, and, and its main bankroller is, is, is a prominent Christian yeah, And in this document that's, that's very much talked about on the internet that's been circulating, uh, allegedly produced by their churches, you know, giving Christians around the country uh, a little help on who to vote for. Mm. Uh, you know, if that's true, then it does seem that the church does back the Kutla the, right. the, the Egyptian bloc, as it's... Uh, uh, main party, but then again, from which is hardly surprising, yeah. given that the other options are like explicitly Islamist. I mean, who who would who would who would you vote for as a as a Christian Egyptian? Not probably not the parties whose platform consists in the application of Sharia. I mean, that that's what they say their platform yeah, sure. is. Exactly, it's fair, and and that's fair enough. Although the you know obviously. Uh, one would hope that Egypt doesn't turn into a country where each sect vote, votes according to its uh, That's religion. not healthy, but yeah, that, 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 that's something that you would hope the country would, would move out of as it becomes a more mature democracy, provided that we you know, continue to have elections in the, in the, in the coming years. But, um, so, the, so the larger narrative from this first round of electoral voting, and it is just round one. We're going to be doing this for six weeks, people, so so strap in. But um, but this first round does include the two largest cities, does include Cairo and Alexandria. Is the Brotherhood performed pretty much within the range expected, around 40%? The surprise is... That's just toward the top of what people were expecting, actually, for, yeah. for the Brotherhood. I mean, uh, you can find people who thought they'd do 20% maximum okay. only a couple of months ago. And, and I think the, the first thing we have to think about is why did these parties uh, 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 do so well? You know, what was special about them? Is, is it that there is a large brotherhood and Salafist block of voters in the country? Is it simply that these, the Islamists generally, but especially the brotherhood and uh, the Salafists had 
ran some of the, the the best organized campaigns because they have, you know, they're already established with an organization that's grassroots and they have people on the ground, people who over the last few months were maybe distributing meat during aid and 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 and, and doing uh, door knocks and things like that structures that that other parties don't have is it because they have more money because they do have more money and they anecdotally we don't have a clear uh, since since spending limits are quite low in Egyptian elections and everyone spends above you know we don't we don't have any official figures on how much was spent on the campaigns but but anecdotally the Salafists spent a lot of money and so did the Muslim Brothers, and that's partly because they're, they're able to draw on, on, on networks of people or organizations that have due-paying members, and, 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 and whereas there, there's a tradition of you know, putting money in the common kit right. to, uh, to do things together. And also generous donations from the Gulf, presumably. And, 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 you know, and then perhaps stuff that would actually be illegal. Which is openly sinister. Uh, 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 Let's which just would, put that out there. Yeah. Like, getting money from foreign countries into... A fresh political situation, a fresh democratic situation, is the the foreign hand that everyone keeps talking about. If anyone has benefited from it, it is the Islamist groups. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, I, I I I'm waiting for the expose that shows how much Saudi money came into the country and where it went in the last six months. Yeah. But <clears throat> I think that certainly uh, uh, for the Brotherhood, at least, you know, the Salafists are a bit different because they're new. On the scene too, they were never organized as a political party. But for the Brotherhood, we have 20, 30 years of electoral performance. We know that they are good organizers. We know that they've run again and again, and they have people in a lot of districts that know the places that they have a good electoral machine. Uh, you know, I think uh, the Brotherhoods, uh, uh, the freedom, their freedom and justice party. Uh, you know, although I feel that. Why bother making the distinction when often they don't? Uh, yeah, they, they forget that there's a, there's a line. But uh, the, the the freedom and justice did well because the Brotherhood is experienced in this and and it largely deserved, I think. And we saw that as experience well. on election day. The, the the Brotherhood volunteers outside of the polling places. You guys detailed what you saw in the previous podcast of of you know they they were they were out in force and, and mm-hmm. it was probably against the rules. Some of it was definitely against the rules, but. Uh, they but got it done, and the, but they and they were filling a void that should have been filled by the government. There should have been a government volunteer with a laptop outside of every polling station. Instead, there was nothing, and there was the Brotherhood. It's the old, old narrative of the brothers filling a role that should be filled by the government. And I think also the fact that they're organized in and of itself is one of the reasons that people voted for them, that they look organized, that they look like people who know how to run things, that they look like people who know how to get things done, that if you're sort of looking around at at the political spectrum, not only are they like maybe more present in your neighborhood, but they come in in a very organized way and and so and so it suggests that they might be efficient at running the country because they're the only people who are efficient at running stuff in in your neighborhood and they you know to some extent ran the elections well okay let's let's play a little bit of devil's advocate here i mean the brotherhood have proven we can't judge their sincerity at this point but we can judge their competence is it such a bad thing to have people who are good at their chosen task in the government? No, of course not. I didn't say that. I think, though, I to go back, I think that you can judge their sincerity a bit. I think that they have a long record in the country as a political organization. And, you know, you can see ways in which they have, you know, 
had multiple discourses, made different kinds of statements, had multiple negotiating positions. It's not like they're an unknown quantity. How they're going to act in parliament is unknown, but in fact, I feel like they have, you can, you can, we have a sort of profile of them as a, as a political organization, and it is one that operates on many levels, that's very efficient, but that has several different kinds of discourses depending on the audience, that has a tradition of engaging in multiple positions of letting its like youth wing do one thing while its leadership you know does another and i mean i i don't think i think that it's a valid criticism of the of the brotherhood not the sort of hysterical you know the islamists are coming to take over but that what makes them good politicians is a certain pragmatism that if you are one of their detractors you might call opportunism and that the big concern yes. with them is not so much you know what what uh, moral campaigns are they going to immediately run? The big concern with them is like, what are they going to, what principles are they going to be willing to sacrifice to entrench themselves in the new political system, which is obviously their number one goal? Well, now the, 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 the number two uh, winner, I suppose, in this, in, in this are, are, are a bit of a surprise. I don't know that, I mean, did, did you guys expect the Salafists to do this well? We, they, they were not involved in politics, they were famous for issuing politics in the Mubarak years. They were purely grassroots, purely religious and good works, etc., etc. Well, I suspect actually that, 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 that it's actually more complex than that, and that the Salafists in the Mubarak years not only, were complicit. Uh, were complicit, and, and I, I think from covering the 2010 elections in, 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 in Alexandria, the elections that were obviously canceled soon after by the, by the uprising in January, uh, they backed NDP figures there. They backed the ruling party figures there. There was a, a deal done between these politicians, mm -hmm. uh, I think state security and the Salafists, to back them. Uh, the, the Salafists, I mean, uh, there's two things that are worrying to me about the Salafists. One is, is fundamentally what they seem to believe in. and that uh, Yes, is one of those things the fact that they're almost cartoonishly fundamentalist looking and, and if you put yeah, your, your average want, Salafist, if you put him in a movie people would be protesting over, over stereotyping, and they really do look and talk like this. It's how they talk that bothers me, not how they, they can wear whatever they want. It's the, it's the, it's the positions that they, uh, I mean, they adopt. A, the positions that they adopt that are you know, a mixture of, of, uh, of I, you know, sorry to offend any uh, listeners, but uh, uh, a mixture of bigotry and stupidity <laughs> to me. Uh, 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 bigotry in, in the sense that some of their uh, uh, beliefs are, uh, I think, deeply offensive uh, to others and are not humanistic or not tolerant. Uh, I, I, I definitely, if I were an Egyptian Christian, I would definitely worry that these people are on the, on the ascendant. And then stupid in the sense that the arguments that they deploy are nonsensical. You know, a journalist, a lot of journalists that I mean, happened to me, happened to Ursula and, and others, you go and talk to them and said, okay, well, how do you feel about women in politics? And they immediately get it all heated up and say, but you've never had a woman president in, in America. And you know, it always comes back to these kind of like false uh, analogies mm -hmm. uh, uh, to things, I, and that's either devious or stupid to me. Um, or just a, you're in a you're in a intellectual you're in a conceptual framework in which the the question itself cannot be convincingly addressed. I mean, I feel like they're they're incoherent because 
they, they say that they support democracy, but then when you start discussing their definition of democracy, basically it's, 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 it's narrowed down to majority rule. It doesn't include any of the other components of of democracy. I mean, I also feels very superficial. I mean, they yeah. support democracy. No, they support their interpretation of the Quran and of Islamic tradition as being the, the first and foremost rules. And anything that's uh, that that's outside that, you know, they they haven't. I don't think they've given much thought to, to, to democracy. I think that they believe much more. Uh, uh, I mean, a, a prior belief for them is that you know, Islam, Hoonism, Kemalushem, is that. Islam is a complete system of life that can be uh, applied to politics. Now, the Brotherhood shares some of that belief, but the Brotherhood has tempered it with actual political experience in at, at the national level and in uh, political syndicates. The Brotherhood are pragmatists to the point of being cynics. It's a whole different creature. And, yeah, and yeah, I, that, that's okay. That's politics. That's, that's fine. And I think and I think the Brotherhood. I mean. You, you have to admire them. Some their skill. Uh, uh, they've had some some very good MPs over the last uh, few years. People who do serious work for their constituents. Uh, uh, that's fine. Here we're talking about a completely new unknown quantity, and people who who uh, have only the flimsy flimsiest, I think, uh, uh, support. Unlike the Brotherhood, that's actually thought through it to some to some extent for concepts like citizenship, equal rights, human rights. Uh, uh, and so on. A yeah, couple I mean, when we interviewed Salafists several months ago, and, and I kept asking the same question over and over again, which was, you know, how do you address the concerns of Egyptians who want to be, um, they want their rights defined as citizenship rights, not as their rights as Muslims or Christians. Right. And they just, they just couldn't or wouldn't answer that question. They just go back endlessly to like the protection that Islam offers Christians, and uh -huh. how actually they're treated better under Islam than like any other religion. And you know, the idea that not only are there Christians who would like to be citizens foremost rather than Christians, but there are actually Muslims who would like to be citizens before being Muslims. That, the, that they would like their rights to be guaranteed by a civil state as opposed to be guaranteed by, by religious doctrine. It's not something they could engage with. Mm -hmm. Now, a couple months ago, I, I interviewed uh, Ala al-Aswani, the, the author and uh, activist, author of the Yakubian building, a very prominent figure in uh, liberal political circles here and a very prominent regime critic during the Mubarak years. And he flat out said, he's like, I'm not worried about the Brotherhood. I can work with the brothers. The Salafists, I don't even know. I can't even talk to them. It's like, he had some quote where it was like, it's like they've been transported here from the 12th century. I mean, it's, you don't even know where to begin the discussion. I mean, he just wrote them off as just not anyone you can do business with or, or build a country with. But now nobody can write them off anymore. Well, okay, so here's the question. If these results hold up and hold form, through the three rounds of the parliament. A couple of podcasts ago, we discussed the panic line. Like what, you know, above what number does the panic begin among I not just liberals and seculars no, and I Christians? Think, think are we there? Started. Yeah, yeah. Have, are mean, we, are we over now. the panic line? <laughs> the, the panic line was 60% combined Islamist, and I think it's probably going to be 70%. So, so the panic line, I think, among the people who would panic about these things has been crossed. The next question is going to be what happens in terms of, of uh, uh, parliamentary alliances and so on. Will the brothers go reach out for fellow Islamists, and then you have a large 
a very comfortable majority of Islamists in parliament. I mean, and this is an interesting thing that may, may happen actually, where you have Salafist brothers and let's say uh, uh, Wasat and uh, uh, which are on the moderate left, Islamists say, the for what these, yeah. And, and then it becomes an intramural Islamist debate, and then they become very much about you know intellectual and theological interpretations of uh, uh, Islamic doctrine. Uh, or do they go for something like, which is what they seem to be hinting at throughout the summer, uh, you know, a centrist alliance with uh, with uh, the Egyptian bloc, let's say, and maybe but a couple of other parties? I just find that so improbable, though, given how the campaign has been run, because in fact, I mean, going back to why these parties have done so well, I mean, my feeling is they've done so well because people have voted basically based on religion and they have campaigned on religion and although supposedly it's illegal to have parties based on religion in Egypt this, this is this is the simple truth of it and despite the fact that they're doing very well and that there was never any doubt that Islamist parties would do, would do very well right. there have been some incredibly negative and hysterical things circulating among Muslims about what would happen if these secular parties took over. Mm. Um, some, some, some very negative propaganda against, you know, the churches uh, telling people how to vote, which is sort of ironic. Yeah, which is hilarious that anyone would complain but, but, about that. And, and about how, like, these parties will bring in Western powers to destroy Egypt, about how, you know, Islam is under attack from them, how they'll be, like, fifth colonists within the country, you know, and, and so... The same way that you have, you know, the kind of, uh, in, the, in the United States, people worrying about, like, attacks on Christian values and, like, you know, the war on Christmas, that kind of stuff is happening here during the election, and it's going to, I think, get worse as, as this progresses. And both sides, I mean, the relationship between the Kutla and, and, the, and the Islamist parties is so negative at this point that I think it would be very difficult for them to form a, a coalition. I mean, anything's Politics. possible. Politics. But, uh, I mean, to me, it's really depressing to see how much the elections have turned out to be just about the most basic religious sentiment. Just tribal, basically. Just vote for us. If you vote, to vote for us is a vote for Islam. You can't lose on that platform in a country that's majority Muslim. But, I mean, politics are going to have to develop beyond that point. Mm -hmm. The, you know, the big absent... I think so far from the result is uh, is the left, and there hasn't been a, a really uh, uh, powerful uh, uh, momentum, I think, by leftist parties or the leftists alliance to to go on the other thing that I think would would, would uh, interest people in a largely poor country, which is uh, you know social justice and, and and all those issues. And we haven't seen that around. Maybe we'll see it the next election. What we see really in, in the Egyptian bloc, which did pretty well, by the way, I mean, which may have done, you know, I, we won't know until the end of the election, obviously, but I think 10 to 20 percent is not too uh, is not too bad for a new coalition of new parties. Right. Uh, um, you know, but they lean more liberal, really. Uh, and they ran as much on sort of lifestyle issues. I mean, uh, uh, and again, in opposition to Islamists, as opposed to, as you're saying, about basic <clears throat> economic issues. The problem is that the kind of parties who care about those issues the most, perhaps, or the the sort of revolutionary youth groups who, who might have focused on this, ha- have like zero resources. 
zero resources mm -hmm. like not enough people to to send people anywhere to run campaigns to have election monitors to to i mean well okay but here's 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 the the, the optimist spin on that the, the sunny side spin on that is that that I, i'm honestly of the, the the of the opinion that no matter what happens in these elections it's going to be okay as long as there's still going to be an election in five years, you know, the, 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 the darkest warnings about the Islamists is that it'll be one man, one vote, one time, and, and, and then something will happen and there won't be another election. As long as, as long as there is another election in five years, then all of these small activist forces that went in there and lost for the most part, you know, that weren't backed by billionaires, as they, they are going to spend the next five years getting their act together. Uh, fundraising, organizing, learning, coalition building, falling out with each other, reforming with each other, and they'll be ready. They'll be more ready in five years. And then, you know, I do think a new political generation is being bred now, and I don't think that new political generation is going to be reflected in the coming parliament, and that's a shame. But hopefully they'll be back in five years. And by then, after five years of the Salafists sort of puffing their chests out and, 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 and you, know, tr you know, lording it over on people and calling anyone who disagrees with them in a parliamentary debate uh, a kafir, you know, they'll, they'll kind of knock themselves down to size. As long, and as long as the, the upcoming co uh, constitution writing isn't a complete train wreck. And I'm now realizing just how many hypotheticals I've strung out sort of, <laughs> to kind of it's find a lot, it's a lot of ifs to find a happy ending. And now I'm depressed. But you were going to talk. So we talked. About, we talked about the parties and 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 the the winners and losers so far in the in these preliminary results. Uh, we were going to talk also about uh, generally speaking winners and losers, not not who competed as political parties, but. Uh, yeah, let's in let's Egypt get into today, the, the, the our rundown of the winners and losers. We've talked about the parties. My question for for the group: Can the SCAF, the Supreme Council of the Armed Forces, which which along with the brothers kind of jammed this electoral timetable down a lot of the country's throat and claimed they were ready and claimed that they represented the majority of the country and that their timetable represented the majority of the country? Now they've held the election. The, there was good turnout. People were standing in line for hours for the right to vote. It wasn't terribly run. There were problems in many places, but I think it came off better than I expected. Can the Supreme Council of the Armed Forces, do they come out of this as winners? I think you have very low expectations, and that's why this, this, this is the only reason this looks good. People were think, thought it might be a disaster, and it wasn't a disaster, so it looks good. But it, I, mean, I don't think it's good. And the, the observers, I mean, first, there was very lax enforcement of electoral rules on, on, on you know, in terms of the, the before before you vote, there's meant to be a one day or two day. 48 hours uh, before the vote, all campaigning is supposed to be suspended. And that was openly flouted yeah. by everyone. by everyone. everyone. It's it's possible the, the, the way the complaints shook out, People, I think it was the brothers who broke it first, and then everybody sailed in. But by 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 11 a.m. on on the first day of the elections, everybody was campaigning online. And I actually, wonder. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen, but I wonder if things like this 
gave an excuse to the scab to cancel the elections because the law. No, that's not a good enough reason to cancel an election. They Uh, want the. I mean, the scab has. You know, Field Marshal Tantawi said, "I am personally responsible for the conduct of these elections. Mm. They are. They are. They they bet some of their credibility on them, and like you say, they're gonna. They're now taking credit. I think for it having gone. Oh, there was another general. Do they have the right to take that credit? There was another general who who compared it to the '73 war. That this was another great success of the Egyptian military. I saw that. That was. Amazing, you know, which is really pathetic. I mean, just when we planned something, when we planned, it was it was something along the lines of, yeah, just yeah. like 1973, when we put our minds to it and we plan something, we succeed, and that's what kind of got me into this. Like they they are already proclaiming victory. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one thing worth noting is that the reasons that the lines are so long, I mean, <laughs> yes. look at the really long lines and be like, wow, look, there was must have been an incredible turnout. In fact, we still don't know the turnout, but I suspect it was more or less the same as in the referendum, perhaps a bit more. So I would, I'm sure not more than 50%. Like okay. I would bet that. Fine. And the reason that people were in eight hour lines was not because there was, you know, a 90% turnout. It's because the elections were not well run. And it's but they not, stayed it's a, yeah, but that's to the credit of the voters, not to the credit of the state. I mean, the people were so determined to vote. Fine. Also, like the the Egyptians abroad, that was a travesty. The yeah. supposed that they were supposedly allowed to vote, but then when you actually go and look, they were given ballots on a Thursday on Thanksgiving afternoon in the states that had to be at the Egyptian embassy on Monday morning. I mean, this, it, it was it was worse that they pretended they were letting them vote and then made it so disorganized they couldn't than if they had just said, okay, no, I'm sorry, this time we can't manage. So, I, I mean, yeah, I agree with this, Sandra. I think it's about, you know, the expectations being so negative that, like, everybody sort of breathes a sigh of relief and is, and is happy that, that things were okay. And, of course, the SCAF will take credit. Um, my bigger question is, you know, what does the SCAF gain from this? You know, what do they actually gain for their goals from having held this election, from the results of the election? You know, is this going to be to their advantage or disadvantage? Is the Muslim Brotherhood in Parliament really going to push, like they're already saying they are, for the presidential elections this spring and further transfer power to civilians? Um, they're, they're, they're ambiguous on that. They keep walking it back. And, and so, you know, whether they'll push the, the incoming new government of uh, Kamal Ganzori, the new prime minister who, who says he's going to appoint his new government tomorrow. Uh, that's uh, Saturday, um, 3rd of December. Um, is uh, It's not going to happen by then. So we're talking about once the, the elections are over for the People's Assembly, which will be mid-January, or once the elections are over for the whole of Parliament, the People's Assembly and the Shore Council, which will be sometime in April, uh, that they'll do this push? I don't know. I think probably the first thing they want to focus on is the presidency, make sure that the presidency is held at the very latest, as the generals have promised, which June. was a major concession but in June. Uh, and there's a few other groups who would like them even earlier. And then there's a, there's a sequencing question about whether you need to finish the constitution first or not. I think we're, we're, we're most tend to agree that no, you just elect the president first, then you have, uh, that, and then you, you, you can take your time to finish the constitution. But to the question of, you know, are the generals winners or losers right now? See, I think we, me and Ashraf disagree on this, like specifically in the generals versus Tahrir. 
like for the protesters who are still in Medan Tahrir and forgotten seemingly in the last week during the, the election. The country was oblivious to them. On election day, I went to Tahrir and there was about 3,000, 4,000 people there and they were holding a, you know, they were rallying and they were chanting. And if you got more than three minutes outside the square, it was like it wasn't happening. And that must have hurt. Well, I mean, 40 people died the week before the election and it's like it never happened. And, you know, in a sense, Tahrir got a major concession out of SCAF with this promise to hold the presidential elections, you know, this spring. But other than that, the government, the new supposedly government that's being appointed by, you know, Ganzuri, who is a former Mubarak minister and who it's already being reported on state TV and on Twitter will include, I've seen at least half a dozen of the same ministers of the previous government. Oh, hooray. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So just, I mean, so they're not going to appoint a transformational cabinet. So the concession, the single concession they've made, and they and we'll see if they hold to it, is to hold the presidential elections early. But the demands of Tahrir, which were interior ministry reform, accountability for those who killed protesters mm-hmm. in the streets, and uh, you know some sort of national salvation government, and the immediate departure of the Supreme Council to some sort of transitional presidential triumvirate, whatever. Just none get of those, the generals out. None of those have been met. None of those demands have been met, and it seems like the SCAF is free not to meet them now. They, a lot of that tension has been diffused by the elections, and and okay. I think they're not going to give in to any of those. Well, demands. that brings us to stage two of our winners and losers segment. Has Tahrir lost? Have they proven themselves to be out of step with the will of the country? And have they lost? I, I would I would argue, and I welcome our arguments to the contrary. I would argue that they're getting kind of a bad rap. I think the narrative shifted on election day to, oh well, Tahrir loses, and I think they 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 got a major concession. The moving up the timetable, moving up the time, you know, the, the, what was it? More than like nearly eight months, uh, cut off the the SCAF's proposed uh, timetable for for ceding executive power. That's huge. But I don't think, I think they feel like they lost. And I, I think inside and outside, Tahrir, that's the perception. And I kind of feel like that's unfair. But they wanted other things besides that. And who's sure. to say that the SCAF wasn't, in fact, always ready to make that concession and wouldn't have been forced to because when they floated the idea of those elections not taking place for another year and a half, they knew full well that that wouldn't actually, that was too long and that they would be pushed to hold it sooner. I mean... there's there's a lot that these people people died for in the square in the last two weeks and I I wrote about this uh, last week uh, in the national and my my whole piece is about how the the, you know the center of gravity basically is moving from Tahrir to parliament I think once you have a parliament elected that parliament will naturally take precedence in the you know political game uh, uh, the parliament will have legitimacy to to represent millions of Egyptians, more Egyptians than can fit on Mid and Tahrir. Right. Uh, um, they will have leadership, which is something that Tahrir never quite managed to have because they will there'll be one, you know, one strong party with a with a either a close majority uh, or near majority, the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, and then other parties that may or may not uh, ally with it. I mean, there'll be a real political opposition to SCAF. Um, 
plus on top of that i think the presidential race is going to start the presidential candidates are going to make more statements and want and want to position themselves vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis SCAF, but also vis-a-vis -vis Parliament. I think that's where things are shifting to. And, you know, it's normal. Uh, a revolution, if this was a revolution, can't stay at the stage of uh, street uh, uprising. The other uh, thing that's normal, but I think... <coughs> and I, But I think, you know, disappointing, if not heartbreaking to some people, is that... The people in the parliament are not the people who are in Tahrir to a very large extent. And they are not even... the people who really launched the revolution. Although the brothers played their role, but they were late to the party, uh, The et brothers et played their role, and I'm not trying to deny that, but demographically, politically, and, on even, and individually, the people who are in parliament are not the people who are in the square. And this is, again, typical of revolutions. It is young people, and it is often, a, you know, a not conservative people who go out and run the risk and sort of are the, the kindling for these great conflagrations. And then they're not the ones who get any political purchase out of them. But that is a kind of sad observation, especially for the people who participated. Mm. Okay. Well, I guess, I mean, to, to, to kind of wrap things up, uh, you know, those of you out there who are inclined to panic at the thought of an, an, an Islamist-controlled Egyptian parliament. Uh, it's early days yet. There might be some surprises, but uh, early signs are that you may officially begin panicking now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to Let see. Let the freak out commence. That's the thing. I mean, I'm not moving. Are you guys moving? No, if we do, it'll be because of the traffic, not because of the Islamists. There we go. Yeah. I do think, though, you know, it is true. We have to wait and see what they do. You know, if they're responsible, I mean, this country is heading into a major fiscal and financial crisis at a time that the world itself is heading into this crisis. We're, we're looking at a devaluation of the Egyptian pound at some point next year. If they can, you know, uh, focus on, on, on those issues and get that going, get things like uh, interior ministry reform going, then, then all the more power to them. If they waste their time thinking like some Salafi sheikhs, including presidential candidate uh, Hazem Abu Ismail, is doing about those streets and parks in Cairo where men and women go to kiss and, and, and things like that, if, if, they're, if they're basically going to replay the culture wars, then, then you know, this country is even more deeper trouble than it is already. On that note, <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody.